episode 18. Thank you for being here on the Everyday Discernment Podcast. Last week, I had Jonathan Rumi on, who plays Jesus on The Chosen. Hopefully, you listened to that. It was such a fun interview, and I was so excited to have released it, given you a chance to listen to it. And he told us about what it means to play Jesus in such an important role and what he is looking forward to in season two of The Chosen. In case you didn't realize, this podcast is based on my book, Everyday Discernment, The Importance of Spirit-Led Decision-Making. I will have a link to the Amazon account in the show notes. You can also get an autographed, personalized copy by signing up to be a Patreon supporter. I appreciate all my Patreon supporters, including my newest supporters, Evan and Veronica T. Thank you so much for your support. And for this week, I'm excited for you to hear my conversation with Paul Lewis Cole. He's the son of Edwin Lewis Cole, who wrote the popular book, Maximize Manhood. And Paul took over the mantle of the Christian Men's Network, which has a global outreach in hundreds of countries, helping disciple men. And while this podcast is not just for men, today's conversation will be a lot about men. And so I would encourage you to share this with the men in your life. Listen to this with your husband, or your boyfriend, or share this with a father, whatever it is, I know that it will bless all who listen to it. And here we go. Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. This show is about you and your walk with Jesus as we grow in discernment together so that we can make better daily decisions that honor God in all we do. We will align all things against the Bible and give you practical steps to run your Christian race to win. And now your host, the discerning dad, Tim Ferrara. Welcome to the show today. I am excited to be here with an amazing man of God. He's a pastor. He's written books. He's the president of the Christian Men's Network, and he has a longer resume than that, but I'll just bring him on right now. Welcome to the show, Paul Lewis Cole. How are you doing today? Hey, thanks, man. It's great to be here, Tim. You know, I I love, you know, people send out resumes and, or you can find them on the internet. And so what happens sometimes, I'll be in an event and a guy will start reading this long thing. And I start walking up in the middle because it's like nobody cares, you know. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, you want to know where people are coming are coming from. And so my background is business and ministry, and everything from uh, some people who are older than you might remember something called Farm Aid with Willie Nelson. Okay. And so yep. our production company put that together, and I built that with Willie, and then at the same time did ministry stuff with everybody from James Robinson to. Uh, you know, a lot of the guys are on television and media today. So that was kind of our background. Yeah, that's awesome. What do you yeah. what do you do now? What what's your ministry well, about now? You know, my dad uh, wrote these books for men about forty two years ago. He's like you. He was a uh, pastor. Is is and so my dad was a pastor. So we're alike. We were the uh, preachers' kids who only got in trouble by being normal. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, the biggest the biggest sin for today's culture is to be normal. Yeah. So. Uh, well, it was like, you know, you had to be this role model thing. And, and I know you probably pulled it off better than I did. But nonetheless, uh, 42 years ago, he wrote this these books and started ministering to men in his local church in Southern California. And nobody was doing that kind of thing. And what he realized is that most pastors or preachers are taught how to preach sermons, not how to disciple men. Mm. So most men are taught how to listen to sermons not how to study the Word of God. 
Yeah. So we've built a generation of biblically illiterate men who sit in our churches. And how do we expect those guys to be any different from somebody outside the church who doesn't know the word? Because neither one of them do. So we realize, okay, we got to have a track, you know, that's that disciples men. And that word is uh, another word would be mentor or to father, to be the father to a, a man, to, to teach him what it is to be a real man and what is and to held up a standard for it. And he realized if you build strong men, you build strong families. Yeah. Strong families build strong churches. And if you're a follower of Christ and you believe in the Bible, Jesus said, I'll build my church. And he didn't mean the four walls. He meant his body. Yeah. Right. I mean, this the beauty of, I love it. And you have seen it a lot. You've probably said it, but this, uh, we're in the middle of, we're taping in the middle of this pandemic thing when a lot of people are still closed up. Yeah. And uh, I love the, uh, I think it was the the singer, Sean, how do you say his last name? Folk? You know, out in California, and he has a website. He says, the church has left the building. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, kind of a play on the old Elvis thing. They're on the beaches and, uh, now. Yeah. And so, and they had 5,000 people last Saturday on the beach. Yeah. Saw that. I think San Diego County, if I'm not mistaken, and doing a worship thing. Dude, that's what it's about. So when Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to defeat it, Tim, what he was saying is, I'll build robust followers of Christ that that aren't just messed up when chaos happens because they've got a mooring, they've got a strength, they've got a center. And when you build men like that, you know, the singer, uh, writer, a friend of ours, Darlene Check, she wrote, uh, Shout to the Lord. Yeah. An old, you know, now it's an old. <laughs> that was a youth group a song for me. <laughs> oh, there you go. And her husband, Mark, and she now pastor in the north coast of uh, of uh, Australia. And we were in uh, Peru a few years ago with our office in Peru. We've got a, our Ministry to Men, Christian Men's Networks in 134 countries. So we were in Peru, and, and she and Mark were doing some commercials for uh, for Compassion International. Found out she was in the area. We were doing a men's thing. Hey, why don't you come over and speak? So she came over and she sat, she did like a 10 minute open to this men's conference, but she said something Tim, I've never forgotten. She said, when men worship, women feel safe. Mm. And I thought about that, man, what is, what is it that a woman will do anything for, for her and her kids as a single mom or, you know, security. Yeah. Whatever it takes right? Security for her and her family. And uh, that's that's a primary motivation for women, whereas it's not for you and I as men. And uh, so anyway, when she said that, that, that really kind of rounded out sort of what we do as Christian Men's Network is we're about building men who make other people feel safe. Yeah. Dads who know how to hug their kids. And uh, men that when there's chaos going on, they don't panic. Mm. That's good. And in, in doing that, you're building the family, like you said, by building the men and, and, you know, the whole unit's getting taken care of by men that will lead. And you, it's funny you mentioned worship because, you know, we go to men's retreat every year and, and there's nothing like seeing 500 guys on fire worshiping. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, we come back and I, I'm guilty of it too. We come back to church and we kind of go through the motions again. We, you know, we don't raise our hands or we're, it's kind of stagnant, but you know, when you're at retreat, it's different, but it shouldn't be different. So how do we ignite that passion in us all year long is get out of that complacency. 
Yeah. On the other hand, you know, uh, you can't live fully on fire in one sense. You, you can't live full out every day. You're not going to live on this top thing. You're not on a mountain because the only reason you're on the mountain is because there's valleys. Right. So there is that ebb and flow of life. And these, you know, these retreats are great. Remember God told Moses, he said, get the men together three times a year. And uh, Tim, I'm convinced that every single one of us as men need a kick in the butt at least three times a year. <laughs> and any woman listening right now would say about every three weeks would be good. Yeah. You know, because so that's why you build a band of brothers. That's why you build a brotherhood or friendships. Because, you know, psychologists are telling us now we're the most connected and yet most lonely uh, generation of people that's ever lived in the United States. And it's true in every culture of the world. Yeah. You know, there's a few cultures where they're, they're more connected because they're less connected to the Internet. But, we, you know, the average guy in the United States right now, I'll just speak of where I live in the U.S., you know, the average man here, Tim, now has 1.7 friends. That's wow. a stat. Yeah. And I was talking with some pastors the other day, and they said, well, that's probably a little generous. And, and laughingly, I said, 1.7 friends. Everybody knows the 0.7 guy. <laughs> yeah. He's the guy that doesn't show up when you move. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's funny. And and it's true because social media tells us we have all these quote friends, but it's it's one thing to be connected online and it's another thing to be connected locally and emotionally and with someone who holds you accountable. And for myself, like I had where well, I'm in an accountability group now with with five awesome guys, but I didn't have that my whole life and I knew what yeah. it was like to not have that and be disconnected. And, you know, what are the barriers for men to not either seek that out or not think they need it? Uh, what usually holds men back from, from finding that? You know, well, I'll answer that. Let me start with this, though, is that, uh, you know, back on the whole interconnect, we're all connected. But we really don't know. We got, you know, 185 friends or 850 friends, but we don't really have friends. Yeah. Here's the way I look at Facebook and most social media. It's like you're sitting, you're sitting in your living room and somebody runs in and screams at you something and then runs back out. And then <laughs> there's no opportunity to discourse or, uh, you know, it's just, it's a lot of, that's the way I look at most social media. Not that yeah. I'm not against it. Yeah. I just think that's the way most of it is. And, you know, for, for guys and, and being in an accountability groups, kind of a scary thing. So you didn't arrive there overnight. You arrived there. Most, most often men arrive there out of some sort of crisis because that's how we come to Christ. You know, men don't change uh, because they just desire, you know, I think I'll change. We don't change until the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. Wow. That's good. So when you talk about, uh, you know, why I don't open up or why I'm not vulnerable, I'm not vulnerable because I'm not necessarily confident in who I am. Mm. The issue facing most of us as men in the, in the Western culture, let's say, which is basically half the world now. I, I've been in 86 countries and almost everywhere I go, this is really crazy. There's all these different languages, but if you listen to the music, Almost all of it is English music. <laughs> they're playing rock, pop, whatever. You know, they're playing the Beebs, they're playing, or they're playing uh, K-rock, K-pop or something, you know. Yeah. But it's, this is amalgamated cultures all connected. And yet at the same time, uh, what's happening for most of us is we, we don't know who we are. And the things that every man in every culture are facing is identity, 
purpose, and belonging. Brotherhood, identity, yeah. purpose, and do I belong to something that's actually worthwhile? Am I actually going to leave some footprints, or am I just going to say, screw it? You know, right. I'm just going to shoot up. You know, that's what that's why our, our uh, cities in the United States, our downtowns, and, and what we would call our urban areas, that's the issue there. Is yeah. you got so so many young men who have been shot, hurt, uh, whatever it may be, the the gang becomes a surrogate family. Yeah, because the fatherlessness is rate is somewhere over eighty percent. Wow. So what you have is a, it's called in a lot of culture nomenclature in psychology it's called dad deprived, and we've got twenty two million dad deprived kids in the United States right now. And what a father provides is love, value, acceptance, and a, and a picture of self-worth. And what a father does for every child is give them their identity. Yeah. That's why when we pray our father, we can say that because God wanted to use an image, Tim, that gave us a picture of who he is. What's a picture? In other words, we don't pray, oh, Jehovah, Jireh, or I can't remember. You know all these. You're, yeah. you're a smart guy, PK. <laughs> Jehovah's Sig Canoe, you know, all those things. Yeah. And yet uh, he said, don't, don't pray all these because I'm personal. So pray our Father who art in heaven. Why? Because Father was the highest image because we don't think in words. We think in images. Father was the deepest, closest, most pervasive image that he could give to a man or a woman from which they could begin to understand the closeness of God the Father, of God himself. But for most guys, because their father wasn't there, their father abandoned them, their dad deprived. So dad deprivation or fatherlessness is the number one issue in our culture today. Because without that, we don't have an identity. When we pray our father, if you're a follower of Christ, you have an identity, Colossians says, because you have found your identity in Christ. That's the huge solution of becoming a follower of Christ. It's not fire insurance. Yeah. It's going to keep me from going to hell. No, this is going to help me live a fully expanded life that I always dreamed of living, right? Because yeah. now, bam, I've got my identity begins to shape. I belong to something. It's a brotherhood, what you belong to because you go to a local church. And then, and then you've got this. I've got a purpose. Yeah. Ephesians says I've got this purpose that the the God has just lavished on me his purpose and and I don't have to go looking for a plan, Tim. I like I remember when I was a kid they said God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I figured, dude, seriously, man, by by about ninth grade, because I'm living in Santa Cruz, California, and you know, I grew up in the 60s. I know they say if if you remember the 60s, you didn't grow up in them, but, <laughs> but, but so what happens is, you know, as a young man, I figured by ninth grade, man, I've missed the plan. Yeah. Like it's this track that you have to be on. I, I screwed up. So I might as well, if I'm already off the track, yeah, might as well enjoy it. So what happens is, but God's got a purpose for your life and a plan for the earth. My friend uh, Leonard Sweet put that in a book called uh, The Well-Played Life. Mm. Fantastic book. And uh, the fact is that that's why I so appreciate what you're doing with uh, Discerning Dad is because this is talking about discernment. And, and you got some great quotes in your book. 
and you can say it better than me, but discernment isn't knowing the track I need to be on. Yeah. If you will, it's knowing how to apply God's life in the place where I'm at so I become who I'm supposed to be. And that's living his purpose. Then I can do that full out. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I've seen it too in the churches where we lead people to the altar and then we kind of, like you said, discipleship may not happen. And so you have people that, okay, what do I do on day two? What do I do on day three? You know, these decisions I have to make with my marriage and my family and my finances and my career, all these things, like I feel that there needs to be, you know, if we put it in the lens of the Bible and have the Holy Spirit as our guide and you do things to honor God, these decisions, as small as they may be, can honor God. I can honor God with my tithe. I can honor God with how I budget. I can honor God with how I treat my kids. I can honor God in all these things where we lose sight of, okay, I'm going to show up on Sunday, you know, check in for an hour, and then I'm going to live how I want the rest of the week. And God calls us to do more. Like you said, have that vision for our life. And if we have our identity, the vision will move us forward and hopefully create a legacy uh, that others will see through that faithfulness. And that's I mean, you're living in the legacy, and not only are you living in it from your father, but you're also expanding upon it. Um, so talk about how you decided to expand upon that legacy and continue one for yourself. What did that look like? Because we all have that option of, you know, doing something else. And, and how, what was that, you know, when we talk about discernment and making decisions, what was God's call on your life and to get you to where you're at today? Yeah, that's a great question, Tim. You know, and, and you've walked through this yourself you know, uh, being career and ministry. And and what happens is we dichotomize these things and we look at them as though they're separate things. I have a great friend, his name's Scott. Scott was um, really, uh, he's a close friend of my son who pastors a church that we began called C3 Fort Worth. And Brandon, my son's a fantastic pastor and his friend Scott's one of the associates there. And Scott's a businessman and he's a brilliant businessman, but he was torn when he was young to, I'm supposed to be in ministry. I'm supposed to be in ministry. And I talked to him one day. I said, but yeah, well, what's your gifting? You know, what are you really good at? You know, what's, and I, and I think sometimes what happens is we look at ministry as something that happens on a stage. Yeah. And I said, Scott, what happens if you uh, build a business and you're able with that business to help underwrite not only stuff that happens at this church, but maybe things that happen in other countries or, you help spearhead a food program in Belize or an educational program in Botswana or heck, a, a thing in, in South Philadelphia, you know? What happens if you're able to do that and then you take two weeks or three weeks every year and you go do some of that stuff? He went, man, that would be incredible. And I think, and that's what he's done. And he's awesome. fantastic at it. I think he would have been really frustrated trying to do what we call vocational ministry. Yeah, for sure. And I don't think the future is just the guy who stands on the stage. I think the future, Tim, is what you're living, which is, and I don't call it bivocational. I call it being a follower of Christ and doing the stuff that God puts your hands to. Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart because out of your heart comes your life, right? Yep. So what's in a man's heart becomes what he does with his hands. Now, the world and religion is most often concerned with a man's hands. When I was young, man, when I was young, dude, you know, it was uh, cut your hair. It was, 
Man, we couldn't wear T-shirts. Uh, I don't know. Somehow that was, un- I don't know where that came from, but you know how, you, you know this growing up, there was some stuff that was ungodly that now isn't. And you're like, what, what happened? What changed? Yeah. Yeah. What happened to that? <laughs> and, uh, and not to say, I mean, obviously there's things, addictions and so forth that are ungodly, but, but when, when I look at all of that and, uh, I look at, at life, I, I look at it and say, okay, um, I'm going to live out my purpose. And what I was really good, because I think a lot of guys are in the ministry because they think, well, that's what I'm supposed to do if I'm laying down my life down for Christ. And they're frustrated businessmen who should be in the ministry. And I think there's a bunch of, you know, guys in, in ministry who should be in business, a bunch of guys in business who should be in vocational ministry. But frankly, it's all the same. Yeah. You know, it's all the same. And religion looks at, you know, like I said, cut your hair. Here's what you do with your hands concentrated on the visible. God works on, man, on a man on the inside, on his heart. Because who you are in your heart is eventually what you're going to do with your hands. Right. And I know you've you've counseled guys and friends and who have had issues with pornography or things like that, addictions. Yeah. And, and I mean, every single time it comes to a crisis point, you start dealing with it. They're like, dude, I don't even know how I got here. Yeah, you know, I don't know how this happened, Once but sin will, yeah, <laughs> sin will always uh, promise to please and to serve, but always desires to dominate and enslave. Yeah. So all of that to say, you know, how did I uh, do this? I was in business. I really enjoyed it. We had a company in Dallas, had offices in Washington D.C. and in Jerusalem, and uh, did media and you know a lot of stuff for a lot of people. And uh, from music, I mean, we were doing videos before MTV started. So that's how far <laughs> I go yeah, with a group called America and a bunch of others. So anyway, the, the, um, so my dad was a pastor. And so I decided, Tim, uh, is the only thing I would never do. I will never get up and preach. I'll never stand on a platform and have to stand at a microphone, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Not doing that. So I basically built a business that helped other people do that. And when my father passed away 18 years ago, we had a short conversation the last time we ever talked. And we had just had communion together. It was a uh, Saturday afternoon, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, everybody left the room. My sisters were there, a couple friends who had come in, and we had communion together. And they all left. And my dad grabbed me by the arm and pulled me back, pulled himself up. He was laying uh, prone position on a bed. And uh, held my arm and then pulled me to him, reached up, and got a hold of me, pulled me to him. And he said, are you going to keep it going? Mm. And I knew what he was talking about. It's this ministry to men called Christian Men's Network. And Maximize Manhood, the book he had written and a number of others. And I said, well, Dad, it won't only be me. It'll be other men around the world, the men you've raised up. But, yeah, we're going to keep it going. So, he, Tim, he let go, leaned back in his pillow, eyes were closed, and he just went, good. <laughs> Last thing my dad ever said to me, he passed away. Oh, wow. A few days later, he, he actually was unconscious the next day. But mm. So that kind of sits on you. And then we went through a few years, and the ministry changed and, and basically ended. And a few years later, some friends of mine, Robert Berger down in Lima, Peru, and Rod Anderson in London, uh, England, and uh, a number of other guys 
called and, you know, at different times said to me and Eddie Leo in Jakarta said, you know, you need to pick this back up and retraction it. So in 2007, my wife and I made a decision, you know, we're going to do that. And my son uh, said he'd be willing to step in. We had started a little church and he said he'd be willing to step in and be a pastor. He's a much better pastor than me. Mm. And uh, in February, 2008, and we basically just went all in, sold our house, used that money, restarted the ministry. And now we're in 134 countries, 37 languages, 980,000 men every month going through the materials and curriculum. Wow. And, uh, you know, but man, that's just the start. We got a dream of 100 million, 100 million fathers who get impacted by this ministry over the next 100 years. That's awesome. That's yeah. vision. That's vision for you. <laughs> well, it's vision. You know, it's, uh, yeah. you know, that story about Walt Disney, the, uh, when, you know, he built Disneyland and he had this dream for a bigger place down in Florida and bought the land. And, and he passed away five years before that whole thing was finished down there. And a reporter turned to his wife at the grand opening of Disney World in Florida. And he said to her, he said, ma'am, it's a wonderful thing. She said, yes, it is. He said, it's a shame your husband wasn't here to see this. And she said, oh. He did see it. Mm. That's why it's here. Yeah, that's very good. And that's vision. What yeah. you see for your children, for your future, for who you are as a man, say, this is where I want to be down there. And vision is what helps you run. And hope, right? like Romans 15, 13 says, says, be filled with hope. Romans 15, 4 says, says, these scriptures are written so we would be filled with hope and have endurance. And in the middle of pandemics and chaos and stuff and you know, it's not like everything is going to get, you know, it's so often we got these, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, Dorothy Wizard of Oz glasses or something, man. And we look at the future and we go, man, it's going to be, it's going to be unbelievable when everything kind of comes together. And, <laughs> you know, it's like saying, uh, when everything slows down, I'm going to clean the garage. <laughs> yeah. And it never gets cleaned. Dude, you know, you, you just have to make the decision to clean it because it's not going to slow down. Yeah, that's very true. So you just have to make a decision. I'm going to man up. The Bible says, gird up your loins. That means get ready for battle. Yeah. Uh, Judges 3.9, excuse me, yeah, Joel 3.9 says, wake up the mighty men, get ready for war. Mm. The fact is, uh, Tim, Jesus didn't come to write a best-selling book. He came to win a war. Yeah. And uh, so when we see the fight, it's like there was an old Billy Joel song. You, I don't, you probably don't remember it, but it was called, We Didn't Start the Fire. Oh, yeah. I remember that. It was always burning. Great song, but I, I feel like that. I feel like, man, there's stuff that's been going on. We didn't start it, but we found it. We found ourselves in the middle of it. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to fight. We're supposed yeah. to occupy. We're supposed to expand, take territory, and build a church that when Jesus Christ comes back, because he is, yeah. when that happens, whenever that is, yeah. a thousand years from now, a hundred years from now, there's probably some guy right now who knows the date. He's, he's writing a book. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. So many people have known it, but, <laughs> but the fact is, is that when he comes back, he's coming back for a church, a group of people, a body that's robust. If you read the book of revelation, which is actually called the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you read about the marriage supper, you don't read about a bride that comes limping in. Yeah. All beat up with a dress all screwed up and everything a mess going, I'm sorry, you know, we couldn't get anything done. Yeah. Bride comes in and says, Hey, 
here's here's what you gave me and here's what I'm presenting to you. Yeah. And I think I, I think I've met guys in their 20s and 30s now who are some of the greatest ministers. And I've met because of the things I've done over my life, I've met some of the greatest men who ever lived. And I think some of the greatest men who ever lived or ever ministered are yet to speak. I think some of the most amazing young men who've ever lived are being fathered right now by dads like you. Yeah. Because you're going to be a dad and you're going to tell them not only, hey, you can do this, but here's how. Yeah. And you're going to fall down. I'll help you get back up. You're going to have to learn how to get back up on your own. And you're not getting a participation trophy, dude. Yep. <laughs> you know, and stuff's going to happen and crap's going to hit the fan. But uh, but here's how that works. And here's how dad lives his life. And here's how dad makes his decisions. And here's what I did in my darkest moment. And every dad listening right now, Tim, needs to do that. Tell your kids about your stuff. Yeah. Hey, I messed up. I made a bad decision. I, I, I messed up on a friendship, you know, and I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't there for the guy and it destroyed a relationship. And I'll never forget having done that. Right. And let your kids learn from that stuff. They don't just learn from your wins. They learn from your mistakes. Yeah. And uh, I think that's, that's key. The world in which we live needs some men who know how to fight for the next generation some men with uh, cojones, mm -hmm. yep. some men uh, who have the ability to say, here's what the word of God says. And that's just what my standard is. Yeah, that's good. Um, so with discernment and parenting, you know, like you said, be real open, honest with your kids about the times you've struggled. What would you say to parents whose children are grown up and whether or not they train them what they would say correctly or not, let's say they've turned away from the faith how can a parent continue to pray for their kid and believe in God that they will be restored? Or, you know, should they, should they speak more wisdom to them? Should they wait for the opportunity? Uh, I know it's a tough position. I know parents personally that, that deal with that, you know, like they're, they turned away from everything I've taught them and that's a tough position to be in. And what would you speak to those parents who are, who are waiting for their, their prodigal to come back home? I'll give you a story, but I'll give you a, a principle first. And that is relationships are never based on distance. They're always based on affection. Mm. And so whether your child's in another state, another country, or a different state of mind, it's not about the distance. It's about the affection. And I'll give you a story. I was a man in Salt Lake City, and I was there. And this would have been uh, six years ago now, five, five years ago. And so this man comes up, and we had talked about healing the, the wounds of a father, the father wounds talking about our father in heaven never turns his back on us because he never turns his back on his son. So, uh, so, you know, we prayed for forgiveness and all that. And he came up, man, the guy was torn up. He's about 60 years old. He's crying. He goes, my, my sons haven't talked to me in probably 10 years. He said, I blew it. I know I blew it. He said, but I've, I've haven't quit loving them, but we have no relationship. So how old are they? He said, they're 30. I think they were 34, 32, something like that. I said, dude, man, that's a rough deal. I said, how do you try to communicate with him? He goes, oh, man. He said, I text them, tell them they need to be going to church. Uh, he said, every so often, I'll send them like a scripture salvation thing. <laughs> and uh, inside, I'm like laughing. I'm thinking, you know, that salvation scripture on the other side, on the guy that's reading the text, 
Sounds like condemnation, not conviction. Right. So I said, hey, why don't you try this, man? Why don't you try this? Uh, just, just a thought. Why don't you text them consistently, like twice a week, the same time? Every Tuesday morning, every Saturday afternoon, whatever it is. And just tell them, hey, I love you. And I was praying for you this morning. Hey, I love you. And I, and I know you're going to be a great dad to your kids. Mm. What if you just begin doing that? He goes, I don't He goes, he goes, Tim, he goes, it's a true story, man. Uh, he says, I, I don't know what difference that would make. <laughs> Whereas he's thinking that doesn't hammer right. them, you know? Yeah. But he did it. He, he, uh, Took that wise counsel. You know, there's a difference between good advice and, and uh, wise counsel. And so that's why good advice is free. So uh, so he did that. I saw him the next year. Came up to me, man, big smile. He goes, do you remember me? And I go, I, I'm like, you know, I travel quite a bit. I'm like, give me a context. He goes, I had the two sons we hadn't talked. I go, oh, I remember the stories. I said, you, did you start texting? He goes, yeah, I started texting him. Those words of affirmation you, you told me. He says, I started saying those same things. I said, well, what happened? He said three months later, one of his boys is one of his sons is talking to the other son. He goes, Hey man, you've been getting texts from dad. <laughs> yeah. What have they been like? And the other son goes, um, really different, like love, like love <laughs> and affection, and like really telling me how much value I have and what kind of and the other one goes, Yeah, uh dude, you think something's wrong? <laughs> Seriously, this is a true story. So three, three months later go by, they, they get together again and they're like, dad's in a cult. He's <laughs> definitely in a cult. These are not his words. They've taken his phone, something. Yeah. Right. Or it's from a script. And uh, so they call him up and the one goes, Hey, uh, dad, Hey, wanted to get with you. You said, sure. They sit down. And he starts. He said, "You've been sending these texts." He goes, "Yeah," and he just tells him the story. He says, "I just repented of trying to be the Holy Spirit in your lives mm. and trying to be God in your life, and I just want you to know I love you." And the son starts crying. He goes, "Hey, let me. I forget the brother's name." He says, "I want to call. You mind if I call my brother?" And so, so yeah, yeah. So he calls his brother, and that guy comes over, and the three of them sit there, and they end up crying together. And the guy tells me, he says, he says, hey, man, I want you to meet my sons. And he introduces me to them. And one of them has made a decision to be a follower of Christ, and one has not yet. But they were both there. Yeah. And they both loved their dad now. And it was, uh, it was this remarkable change. And, and so when you, when you talk about these things, there is a time to bring correction. Yeah. No question. That's why you have discerning dad. Because we have to learn what discernment is and when to speak the right words. Yeah. Most often, and you ask to the point, separated, distance. Uh, the distance is closed by affection. The distance is closed by affection. Yeah. And uh, sometimes it's, it's the hardest thing in the world because you just want to let loose. Because right. you're a person, you have flesh. Yeah. You have your feelings. It's like you feel injustice. They can't do this to me. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I read the verse that I knew growing up, you know, train a child in the way he will go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. And I didn't realize until last year that 
it's when he is old, he will not depart from it. It doesn't say anything that he won't turn away and eventually come back, but hopefully because you've built that foundation in them that they will remember and that you will love them to a point where they can return just like the prodigal did. And I think that's a word of hope for, for anybody who, like you said in that great example, is love them to the point, let the Holy Spirit convict them and wow. in yeah. God's timing, they will come back because you've built that foundation. And even if they rebel in a moment, God has a purpose on their life for their mm-hmm. lifetime. And so just, I want to speak that to parents out there. Don't give up on your kids, love them, and God will not forsake them. Yeah, it's no question. That's, that's a great word, man. You know, the thing is, is that uh, with our kids and with our children, uh, they may not always listen to you, but they'll always imitate you. Yeah. And uh, so when they're younger, the thing is, the Bible says, uh, train up a child in the way they should go. Well, that's not the way you want them to go. It's the way they should go. Yeah. And men are like trees. They tend to fall the way they're leaning. And so our job as parents is to get them leaning in the direction of righteousness, making right decisions. Wisdom, which is the application of knowledge and understanding. Maturity, which is the ability to make the right choice, even when the uh, context or emotions of the moment would cause you to do something different. And, and become mature when they're 17 and 18, making right choices and right decisions. That's your job as a dad, to yeah. give them identity, purpose, belonging, and to help them uh, learn how to make right decisions. That doesn't mean you share everything, man. I mean, we could get into all this stuff. Yeah. That doesn't mean you tell them when, you know, you and your wife are not good. <laughs> right. You don't sit down and go, you know, your mom, yeah, <laughs> she's just not thinking right right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that'll get you in trouble. <laughs> Well, it's just, it. Here, here's the deal. Here's the thing we need to remember as parents. Your momentary words can become the standard for life for your child for the rest of their life. Yeah. You're, you're posting right now because you're mad about whatever side of the chaos you're on. Yeah. You know, these guys are wrong or these guys are that. And you start posting stuff that's highly critical and highly charged and explosive and angry and full of rage, your momentary words, you don't think much about it. You go on down. It's like I said at the start, <laughs> it's like you run in a room and you yell at a bunch of people and then you run out. Yeah. That momentary conversation become can become the standard of life for your child for the rest of their life. Yeah. That's really good. And I've had to learn too. I get a, I have an app that tells me what I posted on, on this day in a given year. So like 10 plus years ago, it'll pull up stuff. And I'm like, man, I cannot believe that I posted that. I had no discernment back then. And so we're always growing, always learning. And that's okay too. But, you know, sometimes things are better left unsaid. And like you said, when we do have those discernment with our words, especially with our kids, they're going to remember those words for years. And so we really want to make sure that we're choosing the right ones that are going to build them up and ones that they'll remember. That's really good, Tim. You know, so you look back and you think about what you said. I look back and think about why was I wearing that jacket? <laughs> yeah. Well, these are just quotes. I'm sure pictures <laughs> apply the same way. So, uh, uh, Well, Paul, uh, I know our time's almost up. I want to ask you real quick just about your book, uh, just, just a Bartender, about the story of Nehemiah. And just it's, a bartender. It's, it's a great story, but talk about why you wrote that book and, and how the principles of Nehemiah apply for it's us about- today. Yeah, it's about identity. How did a man who was a slave and a bartender, the, he wrote a book about himself. It's called, and in it, he says in the very start, he says, I was the cupbearer for the king. Yeah. I don't even know what that is. Actually, I, I looked it up. But what it means is he was the king's bartender. 
So that's why we wrote it, just a bartender. So he's just a bartender. He's a slave and lives 1,700 miles away from Jerusalem, which was the center point, the tipping point of their faith as followers of, of God and uh, the center of their religion. He lives 1,700 miles away. He's a bartender and a slave, and he ends up rebuilding Jerusalem that had been in ruins for 100 years. How do you do that? Chapter 1 uh, basically shows us what changed in his thinking. What changed was his identity. Yeah. At the very start, I'm a slave. I'm a bartender. Oh, God, forgive us of our sins. He accepted responsibility for his actions and the actions of others. That's Christ-likeness. And then at the end of it, he says, and if you would allow me, I'll, I'll rebuild the city. And, and his identity begins to shift. And I thought, man, this guy rebuilds. There were people there who could have done that, who couldn't get it done. See, I believe God uses unexpected people. Yeah. And I believe it happens because their identity. And identity is this. I'll give you the crux of it. Identity is the story you tell yourself about yourself. Mm, That's good. I am. Awesome. Well, Paul, I want to thank you for coming on and uh, just let everyone know where they can connect with you and your ministry. Yeah, Christian Men's Network is found at cmn.men, cmn.men, and that's got all the stuff. You know, we've got a little podcast, you know, uh, like Discerning Dad and videos and stuff and things we do in a YouTube channel, and we do this stuff. We just help churches uh, disciple men. Yeah, I would encourage everyone to check that out. Um, This podcast is not just for men, any women listening. Make sure you share with the men in your life, connect them with Christian Men's Network. There is a ton of great resources there and no reason that they can't check it out. So thanks again for coming on, Paul. Uh, God bless you and your family. Yeah, may the Lord bless you, Tim. I pray everything you put your hands to will prosper and every place you put your feet will be holy ground and God will keep you deep within the favor of his grace. Amen. Thank you. That is going to do it for today. Thank you so much for being with me. Just a reminder, check out the show notes. I put lots of links in there as ways to connect with my guest as well as my ministry. And for next week, I have Andrew F. Carter with me. He's a health coach and social media Christian influencer, and he has an important story to share about a time of discernment in his life. And until then, try to connect with him on Instagram or TikTok at Andrew F. Carter. Until next week, go with God, grow in discernment, and keep your eyes on Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. For more information on Discerning Dad, go to discerning-dad.com. Be sure to follow on all the social media platforms. Just search for Discerning Dad. Please share this podcast with a friend and leave an honest review on whichever platform you listen. Feel free to send any comments, suggestions, questions, or prayer requests at discerningdad at outlook.com. Until next time. Keep fighting the good fight.